Well, good morning, Get Well Church. My name is Hunter Upton. I'm one of the associate, well, I am the associate pastor, I guess not one of them. I was going to say one of the pastors, but hey, there we go. Uh, so delighted to be here this morning. Uh, delighted that you are, whether you're here on campus or you're joining us online, however, wherever, uh, just glad that you took the step this morning. We carved out the time to worship with us. Uh, this morning, I'm so excited. Uh, my first Sunday that I was slated to preach, uh, unfortunately got sick and so made the great first impression of being sick and not preaching. Um, but this morning, I'm really excited to be sharing with you what the Lord has been speaking to me this week as I've prepared uh, for this Sunday. I want to make a quick note and say thank you. Uh, my wife Keaton and I, uh, we moved here a couple of months ago, uh, and just your warm welcome uh, has helped to make this transition into this new season of life here at Get Well uh, just really easy and really great. And we are just so grateful. Uh, and so I want to say thank you uh, so much. And that honestly, we can't uh, wait to keep meeting you guys uh, and as we do life together and just really excited about that. So thank you uh, so much. Uh, this morning, we are continuing in our series called Thread, Jesus Through the Bible. And over the course of the next several months, we're walking through this story as we see God's redemptive love throughout all of Scripture. We're specifically looking at how Jesus is woven through all of Scripture like a thread. Uh, to all for the glory of God. So from Genesis to Revelation, from, from the beginning of creation, when God spoken into being, all the way to the return of Jesus to the earth to establish the kingdom forever. Uh, that is what we're looking at. And our hope and prayer over the last months as we planned this series was that it would not only transform the way that you read the Bible, but it would transform the way that you live your life for Jesus. Um, I would love for you to join with me uh, in discovering some of what the Lord has for us as we read his word by joining us for our reading plan. And I spilt some water on this one uh, as I was walking up. Um, but would love for you to join us for our reading plan as we walk through the highlights of, of scripture uh, from now until Easter. If you don't have one of these cards, you can pick it up out at our info desk. Or if you're joining us online, you can go to getwellchurch.org thread and you can find that there. We believe that the word is the word of God, that it's his revelation to us. It speaks to us even today. And so I encourage you, uh, pick this up. If, if you've never read the Bible through, or maybe you've read the Bible through a hundred times, there's something that we get every time we sit down and we read scripture. The Lord speaking to us. And so I encourage you, if you don't know where to start, if you feel like, hey, I feel like I'm really far behind, just pick it up, get going, all right? So join us for the reading plan. would love to have you uh, do that. Uh, if this is your first time joining or maybe you've missed a couple of weeks in our series, I encourage you to go back, listen to the sermons, uh, watch the videos, listen to the podcast, however you want to do it. Uh, but listen to those uh, because I don't think that you're going to be disappointed. Um, just really great. But I want to take a few minutes to recap where we've been so far. So I'm going to remind you here of our biblical arc uh, of the redemptive story that, that we're walking through. Uh, we began with creation, right? Great place to begin when we talk about it uh, in Genesis. And we've been walking through each and every week. Today, we're going to be in Judges. But what we're looking at here is seeing how something beautifully that God created seems to go really, really wrong. But yet God is working out his redemptive plan and that it doesn't, it's not ever going to stay wrong, but that it will be made right again. We find ourselves in this modern church era of, of grace and the Spirit being a part of us, and yet one day, even as great as this is, it's not the end of the story. The end of the story is that Jesus will come again 
and that his kingdom will be firmly established here on earth forever. All right, so that's where we're walking from now until Easter. So let's recap. Let's, let's kind of look back at this creation, the patriarch slavery and Exodus. So the story begins with an empty canvas in which the master artist, God, right, speaks into being all of creation, the beauty of creation, with the crown of this creation being humankind. And he placed this man and this woman into a garden called Eden, where he gave them blessing and responsibility. Now, all, all seems right in the world, so to speak, but it doesn't take long before God's enemy, the one who wants to destroy it all, slithers in and begins to hijack, want to hijack his creation. So Satan, in the form of this, this serpent, he tempts the man and the woman to eat from the tree that God commanded them. They, they literally the only other commands they have are breathe fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth, right? And rule over it. And the only other command is do not eat from that tree. And which one do they choose to, to not do, right? They choose to eat from the tree. So in their weakness, what happens is they eat and they bring about the curse of sin on every single person who would come after them. That's us. Every person. Every single person now is enslaved to sin, now, banished from the garden, but more importantly, banished from the presence of God, Adam and Eve must now navigate this life separated from God. And as the people on earth multiplied, so did the heart of sin. And this grieves God's heart because he wants to have that close and intimate relationship with his people. So he sets the wheels of redemption into motion. And when it seemed like all hope had been lost for humankind, uh, God chooses a man named Abraham, one of the patriarchs, to, that through his family, through his seed, would come uh, redemption to all of the world. And now the patriarchs, while, while they're not perfect, they did trust and they obeyed God that through his promise, the, the one that he made, that through their family, all of the nations of earth would be blessed. So eventually this family who's in this land, uh, Abraham's family, they find a famine upon them. And so they, they have to go down and seek refuge in the land of Egypt. But like we saw a couple of weeks ago, the favor of God's people um, that, he, that they had once had with the powers that be in Egypt soon fade. And they find themselves enslaved in backbreaking labor. It always makes me pause and go, what, what happened to the promise of God? right? Didn't, I mean, didn't he make a promise? Why are they now enslaved? Is, is this the place where it's all going to end? But the people cry out, and God hears their cries, and he remembers the promise that he's made to them. So he raises up a man named Moses to be the leader of God's people, to bring them out of this slavery and into freedom. And so following a series of, of plagues and, and a Pharaoh's really hardened heart, the people finally find themselves out of Egypt by only the miraculous hand of God. But no sooner did they, sign, did they find themselves free than did they begin to complain and grumble. Doesn't sound like a familiar story, does it? In the wilderness, they, they wander about and, and they, they wonder if God's brought them out of Egypt to die. I mean, at least back there, even though they were in slavery, they had food and water, right? But God shows them yet again his power to provide and to deliver. 
And after a series of events that if you've been reading through, you go, how in the world is God ever going to use this people, right? God begins to, to use them. He finally, they, he uses them and brings them about and they find themselves on the cusp of the promised land, the land that they had only heard about but had never seen for themselves. Can you imagine that story being passed down generation after generation of this beautiful land and yet now they stand on the cusp of it. It's theirs for the taking. And all they have to do is do what God instructs. Now, given their track record, you can probably imagine where the story's going. And that's where we pick up today. We pick up the story uh, with uh, judges here, uh, looking at Moses, God's servant, now having died, and Joshua picking up the mantle of leading God's people. The task that they have is to conquer the land, uh, which will eventually lead to rest, as was promised. And now this isn't Joshua's first time in the promised land. If you have been reading along with us, you might remember back in Numbers chapter 14, it's known as the rebellion at Kadesh Barnea. This is when the people come in, they're at the edge of the south, southern part of the land, and they send 12 spies into the land to check it out, to spy it out, see, see what it is. Y'all, it is as good, if not better, than all the stories that they had ever heard. There are grapes that are humongous. It is a land filling with, flowing with milk and honey. I mean, it is a place that you want to live. That part of the report's really great till you get the other part of the report that there's giants and people that really, really, really don't like us there. Um, so 10 of the spies, 10 of the 12 spies say, hey, I, I don't think that we should do this because we're just going to get squished. Like these people are so much more powerful than us and they already live there. Um, but yet Joshua and Caleb, the, uh, the other two, uh, say, no, God said that this was for ours. This was for our taking. We are just to go and do and that the Lord will fight for us. As you all know, as Tom has told, we usually listen to the majority report rather than the minority. And so they do not enter. They wander the wilderness for 40 years until that generation has died. And yet here at the beginning of Joshua, we find Joshua standing because of his faithfulness and God's promise, standing in the promised land, ready to lead the people in. And so I imagine as Joshua is standing there at this first city that they're to take, the walls and the towers, this, this Jericho, I imagine that the charge that God had gave him probably rings in his heart. And it comes from Joshua chapter 1. It says this, No one will be able to stand against you. This is the Lord speaking. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua had the pledge of God's promise with him and the charge also to keep God's commandments. And so imagine he's standing there and he's wondering, what, what kind of strategy should we use to, to take this first town that's been given to us? And as he's pondering, he's startled to find a, a warrior standing before him with a sword drawn. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that I'm reaching for my sword also, right? Because uh, you're in a foreign land, foreign people, and I don't know who you are. So this is probably not good. And so Joshua asks, he, he says as he challenges the warrior, he says, are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. 
But as a commander of the army of the Lord have I now come. Some translations have the response of the warrior as no. So are you for us or against us? No. That's kind of heartening or disheartening. I'm not real sure. But he says, neither. I I am part of the Lord's army. I'm not part of man's army. I'm, I'm part of the Lord. And so Joshua falls to his face before the Lord and he says, what message does the Lord have for his servant? And just as had been with Moses at the burning bush, God tells Joshua to do the same thing. He says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. You see, the Lord had promised to be with Joshua. He's now revealing his presence with him. The Lord came bearing the sword as, as the commander, not simply of the armies of Israel, but as the hosts of heaven. The commander Joshua is met by his supreme commander, the Lord. What's evident then and throughout the whole book of Joshua is that, that the Lord is the commander. The Lord is the one who brings the victory, not Joshua and not the people. And now that since the time of the wickedness of the Canaanites has come, has really reached its fullness. Whew, just as has been said back in Genesis 15 with Abraham, uh, it's time for their wickedness to end. And it's time for the reign of God as the king to continue again in that land. By following the Lord's command, the Israelites begin this campaign across the center of, center of the land. Then they head south and then finally back north. They celebrate victory whenever they listen to the Lord and they follow his commands. They do what he says, but they're met with defeat when they choose to do things their own way and in their own timing. You see, the conquest is all about God's hand and bringing about the continued unfolding plan of redemption that he would bring to the world. And so as we get to the end of Joshua, as the conquest nears completion, Joshua and the people, they divide up the land amongst the 12 tribes and each person goes and they build their homes or they take the homes that were there. They plant their roots, they find rest and they flourish in the land that God had given them. You see, they're they're strategically positioned geographically to be a light to the nations. And so as the book of Joshua finishes, we find that there's still pockets of these enemies still in the land that they're supposed to drive out. That's something that they're uh, tasked with doing. But Joshua in his farewell, he says this. And if you've got your Bible, turn with me to Joshua chapter 23. Joshua 23. We're going to pick up in verse 3. Joshua says this. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for you, your tribes, all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Familiar words, right? Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. 
The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips for your backs and thorns for your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I, Joshua, am about to go all the way of the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. And so Joshua says that, and and then he challenges the people by saying this in chapter 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me, this is Joshua, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So the people go on to respond and say, far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord and serve other gods. And y'all know that Joshua's sitting there shaking his head. (laughs) He essentially says, yeah, right. There's no way. But they're emphatic. No, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And so Joshua, in his form and fashion, to mark that moment, Remind, they, they renew the covenant of promise between God and the people. And he sends them on their way to their inheritance. And the people rest for the very first time in hundreds upon hundreds of years. Settled and resting. Now, if we were to label the book of Joshua, we would probably say it was a book of successes. Uh, what had seemed hopeless with the people of God wandering in the wilderness was not as hopeless now that they they rest in the land, right, that God had promised uh, for them and given them by his mighty hand. But unfortunately, no sooner had the people gone to their new homes and found this rest, did they forget the promise that they had made before God and Joshua. Now, unlike Moses, Joshua isn't replaced, as, uh, isn't replaced as the leader of the Israelites. And I think there's this expectation, this anticipation that Israel's going to live as, as the Lord, as the, their ruler, under the reign of the Lord, maybe with some help of some elders that uh, Moses and Joshua had, had appointed. But that doesn't work. And we get to the book of Judges, and it tells us what happens once Joshua and his generation have died. And honestly, the news is not very good. So if, if Joshua is a book of successes, then Judges is a story of failures. Remember this call of the Israelites to be a light to all the nations? Well, instead of being a city on a hill that cannot be hidden, it's more like someone standing in the middle of a, of a dark field with a flickering lighter and you're standing 10 football fields away. That light isn't very bright. And the hope that we once had doesn't seem to be as hopeful for the redemption of the world, right? 
So Judges opens with this grim conclusion that Israel did not drive out all of the Canaanites from the land as they had been told to do, which brings about the Lord's judgment upon them since they refused to wage war against the idolatry in the land. And the judgment is this, is that God will not drive out all of these pagan nations and that those gods that they choose now to worship will become a snare to Israel. And that's exactly what happens. So if you have your Bible open, uh, turn with me to Judges chapter 2. It's just a couple of pages uh, to, the, to the right. Judges chapter 2, let's pick up in verse 11. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the, uh, the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. But whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was, at, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up evil practices in stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained with their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and to see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. So the Israelites' ancestors had experienced, I mean, just absolutely profound and great miracles and deliverance from slavery. But while they had, even though the truth is that they had found freedom physically from slavery, there's still this spiritual slavery in their hearts to sin. If you were reading this week, you, you probably caught up on this cycle that, that, this, that the Israelites really can't break this sin cycle that they seem to find themselves on. And it looks a little bit like this. They sin. The Lord has anger. It leads to their oppression. They, they find themselves in distress. They cry out to the Lord. He raises up a judge. He brings deliverance. And ultimately, they find rest again. Unfortunately, there's this little arrow right there that continues back to sin. So let's talk through that. First, the Israelites, they, they sin by worshiping the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of the people who are in the land. And so this violates the covenant that they had with God, and it provokes God to anger. The Lord, therefore, hands the Israelites over to their enemies and allows them to oppress the Israelites. 
And because of their distress under this oppression, the Israelites, they cry out for the Lord for deliverance. And remember, it's the Lord they cry out to, but he's the very one that they've forgotten, right? Finally, the Lord raises up a, a military deliverer, a judge, one who, who will bring about deliverance from this oppression to bring salvation. And all will be good for a while. They'll find some rest in the land and the judge ends up dying. The Israelites forget the lesson that they were supposed to learn and then they fall back into sin. They start to worship the idols again and the whole cycle just begins to repeat itself again. This, this cycle of disobedience, it continues throughout the book. And if, and if you were reading along this week, you see that with each cycle, this level of sin just seems to worsen each and every time. This, this circular pattern of disobedience, oppression, repentance, deliverance, it, it ultimately leads to just this downward spiral into chaos. And as we read Judges, we, we see that each of, the judge, each of the judges becomes more and more flawed. And we find that Israel eventually begins to embrace debauchery, rape, and murder. And at the end, what we find is, is a nation divided by civil war. I find it interesting that if, if you're reading along this week in Judges, the book of Judges begins with a holy war. One that, that's, that's happening to, to continue to take the land, but then ends with a very unholy war with the Israelites fighting against each other. There's this key phrase that I think uh, sticks out from this story, and it's this tendency for the Israelites to do, quote, what is right in their own eyes. They do what is right in their own eyes. And the, and the story ends with this very bleak picture. Very last sentence uh, of Judges is this. In those days, Israel had no king, Everyone did as they saw fit. My question is, is, is it really that Israel had no king or is it that they were just choosing to do their own thing, to follow their own desires, their own wills, their own wants? What had started with a temptation and a deception in the Garden of Eden with Satan was now continuing on in the lives of God's people. I mean, sin had this firm grip on their hearts and on their lives. And it wasn't just the Israelites, it's, it's the entire world. They desired to do what was right in their own eyes and, and totally disregard whatever it was that the Lord wanted for them. And even though God was merciful in hearing their cries for distress and bringing about deliverance, it was impossible for them. It's impossible for us to follow the Lord uh, fully and faithfully to, to continue to follow and obey the commands of the Lord. They just kept falling back into this cycle, and it would repeat itself again and again and again. Do you find yourself in that kind of cycle? Do you find yourself seemingly always returning back again and again and never seemingly able to break that? Does, does the Israelites' story, does it resonate with, with your experience with sin in your life? Because I know it sure does me. It sure does me. But here's the truth. You see, we, we all have a story, but only one story redeems our story. We all have a story, but only one story redeems our story. 
You see, like the Israelites, we're, we're unfaithful to God. We're, we're hard-hearted and hard-headed, right? We're people who've been shown God's grace and mercy so many times that honestly, if we think about ever having to reciprocate that back to someone else, it just seems like that would be insane, right? Yet God and his goodness is so good to us. But the truth is, is that we cannot save ourselves. No matter how hard we try, no matter how many promises we make, we cannot save ourselves. We can't will ourselves into faithfully loving God and following him. We all have a story. This is our story. The Israelite story is our story, but you know what the truth is, is that's not the end of the story. At least it doesn't have to be the end of your story. And that's because God wants to redeem your story. Just as he's going to work, as we'll see throughout this series, he's going to work to redeem the story of Israel. Friends, I don't, I don't know what what cycle you're on. I don't know what it exactly feels like to you, but God wants to break that curse. God wants to break that cycle and bring transformation to your whole life, not just parts and pieces of it. I think we're really good at letting him have parts and pieces, but he wants to transform every part of our being. And the way that he does that is he begins that work through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave us this ultimate love shown through us to the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus. He's the one, Jesus is the one whose story, this story is the one that redeems our story. See, he lived a life that was, that was perfect in a world that was marred by sin so that we could have life. Again, so that these, these shackles that used to be on our hearts, these shackles that used to be part and around our legs no longer hold us down, but have given us freedom by his blood. Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many so that many may come and know the goodness and the love of God. So that that separation that we once had no longer is separated, but that it comes together in beautiful, transformative life. That's what the Lord wants to do. That's what the Lord wants to do for you and for me. And that's because we all have a story, but only one story redeems our story. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can save us, the only one who can deliver us, the only judge who can come and break the cycle of sin and separation that we have from God. Only Jesus. So this morning I have a question for you. No matter where you are in your relationship with the Lord, my question is, are you ready? If, if you're questioning or you're new to the faith in following Jesus, are you ready to break free from a life that, that, that's just impossible to live apart from the grace and the mercy and love that we find in a relationship with Jesus? Are, are you exhausted yet? from this cycle of sin that seems to continue to play over and over in your life. If that's you, I, I invite you, I plead with you, I ask you, hand your life over to God today. Ask Jesus to come and be the one that you no longer want to do what is right in your own eyes to do as you see fit, but that you want God, you want to come under the Lord's gentle and good and loving mantle. Today's a day better than, than any other day for you to make that choice, to make that step. So I encourage you to do that. 
ask the question to everybody. Are, are you ready? So if you've been following Jesus for, for a little while or maybe a, a long while, are you ready? Are you ready for a life that, that God has called us to that's greater than anything that we can imagine? I think that many of us have settled down, and I, I admit that this is so me. I think that we've settled for a life that is so subpar to what the Lord wanted for us that it's just embarrassing. The Lord wants to do something mighty in us. But yet we've allowed this sneaky serpent to kind of slither back into our lives and, and we listen to his voice rather than to the Lord's. And I know that I've found myself in that position far too many times. And for many of us, it's not that it's some big and obvious way that, that this is happening, but it's more in these subtle and covert ways that, that Satan is doing that. Do you remember Joshua's command? Choose this day whom you will serve. And I think that's still relevant to us all because Satan desires for us to, to forget God, to follow after the idols that we find ourselves around, to follow anything and everything other than God. His goal is to keep us a slave to sin, even if we're really not, and that's the truth, is that, that we're not a slave to sin anymore. If you follow Jesus Christ, you have been freed to a life. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ that you never could have made for yourself. This has freedom from our sin. And yet the Holy Spirit comes in and empowers us to follow the Lord more than we ever could have thought we could had before. So if you're struggling with this truth, I invite you to be a part of one of our many communities here at Get Well Church. Communities that are, that are working to remember the truth that, that we pursue Jesus with our whole lives. A great starting place is joining Celebrate Recovery that happens on Tuesday nights at 6 p.m. It's a community for those who have hurts, habits, and hangups. That's all of us, I think, but that could just be me projecting that on you. But another fantastic way uh, to get involved in this kind of community is to join a life group. It's a small group of folks intentionally gathering together to encourage one another in their walks with Christ. And just like we gather each and every week in this place, there's something beautiful, something special that the Lord does when we come together in community, pursuing after him. Because the enemy wants us to stay isolated. That's, that's his number one tactic. If you think you're alone, if you think that there is no truth on you, if you think there is no hope, that is where he wants to keep you. But that's not what we find in a good community that we have here. There's so many ways that you can surround yourself with that kind of community that seeks this, this transformative and truth-filled community. And so I encourage you, seek that out. Set aside those excuses. I've got plenty of them. I can, I'll probably give you a list here. But set those aside, take that step forward, and find that kind of community to be encouraged and to find transformative and truthful. And honestly, I, I, will be, I will be so excited to see what the Lord can do through that. Because the truth is we all have a story, but only one story redeems our story, and that's Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. Lord, we thank you for this time of worship. Lord, for the words that, that we sing and the words that we hear from your scripture. And Lord, I just ask that, that we would be a people who do follow after you. Lord, who are obedient to you because, Lord, you are oh so good and your promises have not failed and will not fail. 
And Lord, wherever we find ourselves on that cycle, I pray that you, Lord, would be the one by your spirit to come and to transform and to change and unshackle our lives to that, Lord, that we may live a life that to its fullness, Lord, that you want to give us. You are faithful and you are able. Your hand is not too short to save and not too short to bring about what we need, Lord. We want to give you all the glory and all the praise because you are so worth it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.